Oh no! no. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's that dark trooper what? music. Oh, that's right. Dun 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 dun. Oh, da, 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 da. oh he's got the horns on the helmet. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. It's Darth Maul. <laughs> oh my god, could you imagine? <laughs> okay, okay. Giancarlo Esposito. Thank you for gathering the Mandalorians into one place. <sighs> what? Okay. I will create an army that will bring order to the galaxy. Wow. Okay, his plan explained. Welcome back to New Rockstars. The Mandalorian Chapter 23 reveals a shadow council of Imperial warlords setting up the First Order with things like Project Necromancer awaiting the return of Thrawn. Oh no, and this leads to our dear friend Paz Vizsla dying at the hands of some Praetorian guards, the last Jedi, but is the silent partner, the real spy of this episode, the armorer? Uh, say if so, so, we have questions. <laughs> We would have questions if so, but Dank Farrick, this episode, this episode actor. Dank Farrick, indeed, Eric. I can't believe you're bringing this up because that would make me so, so sad if it was the armorer. I love her. I love her very much. We did suspect something that was up with the, with the armorer earlier this season, but it wasn't this. It right. Was, it was something else. Anyway, welcome back to The Break Room Presents, Wookiee Leaks, our weekly Mandalorian after show. I'm Eric Voss. Tommy Bechtel's out this week, but I'm here with Hector Navarro. Hey, everybody. So happy to be here. I'm going to try to do my best to fill in that Tommy energy. <laughs> <laughs> and like so Hector just like opening opening look at this episode what are your thoughts coming out of this very dense very very dense this is the one that was like okay y'all don't like having fun with Jack Black and Lizzo fine here's the lore here's all of the setup for the next couple of years of Star Wars storytelling yeah I know from the beginning of uh, the series that they were going to say this is going to show us the rise of the first order so they're delivering on those promises I, I have no problem all that all that being set up but I love the idea that they're bringing in like Thrawn uh, minions in this uh, in this midst in this conspiracy I'm dying to know who the spies of this episode were because you know it's called the spies and on the surface everyone is kind of just like being exactly who they say they were no one's being duplicitous but it also seems like the Mandalorians got set up on this planet a little bit so I'm trying to reconcile my feelings between those two things if there were spies who set them up, there's just a lot of like logic gaps on how they did that or why they would want to do that or how that fits in with other things that they've done in the past. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to talk through this episode with you, Hector. So what the fat happened in this episode? Things really start cooking here in episode seven, The Spies. Elia Kane meets up with a hologram of Moff Gideon in a back alley of Coruscant to discuss the status of their plan. She reveals to him that things aren't going great on Navarro, best planet in Star Wars Galaxy, as the Mandalorians <laughs> are working together to fend off pirate attacks. We then see Moff Gideon address the Shadow Council. Coolest name <laughs> we've heard in Star Wars in a long time. There are many interesting characters there, including Brendel Hux, who is played by Brian Gleason, the brother of General Hux's Damo Gleason. The Shadow they kept Council. Him the family, that was really cool. Awesome. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, really, really happy to see that. If you're a Hux fan and I am, I think that character is hysterical. Um, the Shadow <laughs> Council is in disarray as they await the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn. 
I, I think that they're giving us like putting faces and names to who exactly is behind this conspiracy. So yeah. it kind of makes it clearer. I mean, we we could guess. We know from the Phasma books that, you know, the Hux family was was there and was part of this. We know that Snoke was being like puppeted by Palpatine, but that seemed to be like the kind of uh, the dark side angle as opposed to like the political bureaucratic uh, functioning behind it. So that's what we're seeing now. Um, I I like that they call themselves the shadow council because it's, there's really no debate anymore over whether or not we're the baddies. Like they know, (laughs) (laughs) but that's also been like true to star Wars since the beginning. We've Uh, had the shadow collective. We've had everyone like, yeah, we know we're evil. We don't care. (laughs) It makes me hope that someday the MCU will get the masters of evil because it's just like the best team villain name. (laughs) (laughs) The mute, the, the brotherhood of evil mutants. As Magneto once mm-hmm. called them. It's great. Um, so then Moff Gideon <laughs> convinces the council to send him aid so he can destroy the Mandalorians once and for all. Speaking of Mandalorians, the Night Owls and the remnants of the Death Watch are reunited on Navarro for a grand feast. And before the feast, Grief Karga presents Din Djarin with a rebuilt IG-11, now IG-12, <laughs> a Grogu pilotable version of the old droid with the vocal functions to say yes and no. Eric, did I mean, you like this element in the episode? Because my answer is yes, 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 yes. Uh, I I need a sometimes button, a sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, or just like a mix of yes and no. Because, I mean, anything that you give Grogu to do, especially this little, like, Bjorn visual of him just sitting in the chest, <laughs> operating it, getting to grab Melaroon fruits, I'm okay with all that stuff. I think it's so fun, uh. and it's a delight, but it's like, did we have to do this to IG-11? They're, like... His corpse is being mutilated and desecrated hey. at every turn. They lobotomized him. Yeah. Like, why not just let him live as a statue? Jesus yeah. Christ. Because Grogu needed a mech to pilot. And, uh, you know, we may still get a reversion back to the IG-11. Because w- w- where did we leave off? It was just that, like, we're missing one piece, one droid piece that the Anzellan could still maybe put into IG-12 to make them IG-11? Isn't that where we left According off According to Pelimoto, that part isn't made anymore. It doesn't uh, exist. I'm sorry. You got to get that. They don't make that charger anymore. You got to uh, buy the new iPhone that's charger. That's such a bummer and a little too close to home. So at the feast, Bo-Katan rallies the troops to retake Mandalore, and a small team heads to the surface of the battle-scarred planet while the remaining Mandalorians remain in orbit just above Mandalore. On the surface, they meet a surviving group of Mandalorians who never left their home world. Very Mad Max. They agree to take Bo and company to the Great Forge. Axe Woves and Paz Vizsla continue a great tradition of physically fighting over a board game, but the fight is broken up by Grogu in his IG-12 suit. Again, love this moment. Thought it was fantastic. Very fitting for Grogu and his, I guess, character development. I did like that a lot. I, I mean, that it seems like if the whole reason was to just be able to have Grogu physically separate these two <laughs> warring Mandalorians, then I think it's totally worth it. Yeah. Could the child have just used the force to repel the two? Probably. He did hold back a mudhorn yeah. and tamed a rancor. Yeah. But that's yeah. true. You got to imagine. Takes a lot out of them. Those Mandos are probably smaller than those huge creatures that you just mentioned. But, you know, 
Hasbro's got to sell new action figures, and I, for one, can't wait for the IG-12 with the little Grogu accessory in the chest. It's going to be great. <laughs> so then the group is attacked by a giant creature, not the Mythosaur, but yes. they manage to survive and head underground where they are once again attacked, but this time by Gideon's Mando-inspired troopers. Who the heck are all these guys? I don't like them. Boo to them. I have, yeah, I have questions. They are clearly, design-wise, being set up to look like the First Order Stormtroopers. Right. I think they have like the same kind of shape chess pieces and everything uh but yeah like what from whom is he recruiting them it sounds like there's like a faction of imperial loyalists everywhere there was right. that line among the shadow council where it's like you know they're still eager eager to fight but it's just like man that they were all able to do this in secret on mandalore is just it I, brings up a lot of questions it, yeah absolutely i mean we are how many years removed from the purge like like the, the empire or the remnants i guess at this point knew that it wasn't so poisonous and toxic that they could go and build all that base out. It's very, very impressive. But like you said, there's there's loyalists to the Empire everywhere. It's just a bunch of Aliyah Canes, basically, like in this armor, yep. flying around. But thankfully, I think the Mandalorians are a little bit more skilled in that kind of battle. So, but they, but they mm. do get pinned down in a trap set by Gideon. Din is captured, and Bo and the rest of the Mandalorians are able to retreat, save for R.I.P. Paz Vizsla, who heroically Ugh. sacrifices himself to buy more time for the rest of the group to escape. He takes out a dozen or so troopers before being killed by Praetorian guards, and that's what you missed on Glee. I mean, The Mandalorian, hey, season wait. three. Get Sorry. Out of here. Sorry. <laughs> Ah, uh, what a, what a heartbreaker to end the episode. Just a, a smash cut to black. I mean, I, I know they showed his heavy repeating blaster just heating up I in know. his hands. He's like he spent it all the way down to the last charge. Oh, it hurts to see this guy go down. Listen, it's Star Wars at its best, Eric. I don't know if you have been caught up on the Bad Batch, but um, we had some some pretty emotional finale action going on over there for the Bad Batch season two. And like we've been saying, a lot of the the story and plot elements are really kind of tying into what they're exploring in The Mandalorian, but it was just a real one-two punch this past week of like the Bad Batch season finale. Ugh. And now this, no, Paz Vizsla, RIP, it's so, so sad. But I've loved this sort of character development. Again, I think it's the best that Star Wars can offer where they take a cool looking character in the background who you don't know that much about. And over time, little by little, you learn more about the character. You start to like the character. All of a sudden, you're ride or die with this character. Like, this dude is awesome. When he went to defend Din and started a speech with, like, basically saying, this is a bunch of bullshit, but Din saved my son's life, and now I'm going to stand by him no matter what. Like, immediately endearing. <laughs> so much fun. Um, and what a great heroic sacrifice. This is the way, indeed. Ugh, I thought it was... I thought it was fantastic. And some great physical work by Tate Fletcher. Absolutely. That guy brought it. He was, Absolutely. he was incredible to watch. I totally agree. I really hope that, uh, like a lot of great sci-fi television, that Tate is still a part of the show and can just play another faceless character who we haven't maybe met yet because that physicality, that acting, that performance, that voice... It's all fantastic, so huge props to uh, to Tate. Yeah, we saw him in the pilot episode in that bar on the ice planet, like, with the space, but he could play any other character. Just do not let him, like, he has to have that, that oh, waxy yeah. mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has to. <laughs> Non-negotiable. He will not lose that mustache. <laughs> Nor should he ever. Just a quick reminder that the best way to support New Rockstars is to grab some merch from nerdriot.shop. We have a, a amazing uh, assortment of Mandalorian-inspired shirts and hoodies and all this great stuff. You can get this, like, Grogu one. Uh, so yeah, grab all that at nerdriot.shop 
and thank you for supporting us uh, and Hector. So let's talk a bit more about the Shadow Council and this question of is the armorer a spy? Is <sighs> it, like to quote another famous Hux, am I the spy? You know, are they the spy? Is that I'm kind the of spy. the inside joke here with the Hux family? Um, because yeah, we meet uh, part of the Shadow Council obviously includes Moff Gideon, um, but we have Brendel Hux. Who, as you mentioned, Brian Gleason, brother to Domino Gleason. Brendel is the father to Armitage Hux, Domino Gleason's character in the sequel trilogy. Yeah. And really, it is this father and son that oversee the creation of, you know, what they call the perfect soldier in the early years of the First Order. A lot of this is covered in the Phasma book. So go back and read the Phasma book. You find out her history with these Armitages and uh, with these with these Huxes, but with the Armitages and the Brindles <laughs> and the Stokes and all of them. Uh, it's a, a very interesting read it gives you a lot of context here actually and spoiler warning for you know this book or at least this is what happens in the book we, we don't know how strict they're going to stick to it but you know mm-hmm. brindle is killed by his son armitage armitage oh, yeah. takes over he commits patricide and that's how armitage hux becomes a major leader in the first order mm-hmm. now this episode is called the spies and you know we would be remiss to uh if we didn't mention that wonderful moment in the rise of skywalker where armitage hux revealed himself to be a spy but i don't think the huxes here are the spies it's also established that brendel is overseeing what is called project necromancer and necromancy is Whoa. the occult art of resurrecting dead bodies and just you know fiddling with dead bodies to see what you learn apparently this is the code name given to the sith eternals plot to clone and resurrect palpatine i might have been wrong hector but didn't look like moff gideon was walking past some tank that contained something oh absolutely oh 100 yeah it seemed like there were more it's just it's kind of just interesting kind of they just have jars of like past experiments everywhere yep. they're like okay these didn't work out but we'll just keep these tanks here just in case this yeast grows into something and we don't want to throw it out very you never know yeah, <laughs> you're very very smart of them to hold on to that you know it, it, it could lead to some delicious bread but it's also very like nazi experiment of them very nazi eugenics you know to have all of these Anytime we see like fictional Nazi storytelling, there's they're always performing these occult experiments and they're always dabbling with cloning and resurrecting zombies and all this kind of stuff. So and also I hate to correct you on your own show, Eric. I'm so, so sorry, but you keep saying Hux. I believe the pronunciation is Hugs. It's General Hugs. Am I wrong? I, th- I thought it was Hugs. Or maybe I'm just going off of what Poe Dameron called him at the beginning of The Last Jedi. My favorite, Aww. my favorite, favorite. <laughs> I'll hold for General Hugs. <laughs> Can he hear me? You know what? Do not try to hug a, a, a Gleason, as we saw in the Banshees of Inishirin. He doesn't want to hug. He will cut off his fingers the more hugs you oh. give him. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I thought it was interesting on Moff Gideon called Brendel Hugs obsessed with creating clones. Like, yeah. this isn't just something he's doing because some Sith occultist was like, hey, you have to do this. Because Palpatine. He's like, no, he wants, he's all about cloning. He loves it. So you have both like a Sith cult that is doing the cloning and you have like a military faction who's into it as well. And Hux is even asking, he's like, so did you hear back from Dr. Pershing? Because I would love his research. Like he's so into it. It's like his favorite thing. Did he mention me? Did he talk about me, Dr. Pershing? Did he say anything? (laughs) How is he? Oh, I love him. (laughs) But we also learned that Hux already has Praetorian guards. We know those red cloak badasses that protected Snoke on The Last Jedi. So happy we get to see these guys again. And now we also meet another interesting figure, Captain... Gilad Pelion, mm. who is played by Xander Berkeley, 
a character actor who has been in everything. Gregory from The Walking Dead. He played the foster dad in Terminator 2. He was yeah. like the the spy Secret Service agent on Air Force One. I think one of my favorite roles of his. <laughs> He's so good in that. This guy is a major figure from Legends Materials. He first appeared in Heir to the Empire, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn book. He's considered Thrawn's protege. He's uh, just a fascinating figure. And he did cameo briefly in just through his voice in an episode of Rebels. But otherwise, that was it. So now we get to see him in live action. It's just it, that mustache, the hunched over appearance. He looks exactly as his captain would based off of what you've read about him. It's it's awesome. I just, uh, you know, I, 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 I've already been having this discussion with my friends over the past few years, but it keeps happening with every new episode of The Mandalorian, every new sort of announcement. But I, I just can't believe we're in a world where some of that old, great legends material, like the character of Grand Admiral Thrawn, is now being really embraced by the rest of Star Wars and put in not just in an animated show, but now a live action series and is probably going to appear in a yeah. movie. And I know that there are Star Wars fans who who were upset when Disney came out in 2015 and they're like, well, we have to we have to do away with this canon because it doesn't really line up with what we're trying to do. But I'm also hugely appreciative of, first of all, all that stuff is like still in print. Like they're ju they just still want to get your money any way they can. So you can get those books. Mm -hmm. You can buy those books. They're at Barnes & Noble, which is crazy. Um, but also just that everything that they've been producing since then with the expanded universe of novels and comics and video games and VR experiences, like the Lucasfilm storytelling creative side you know, they're looking at what they're doing with publishing with the High Republic. And instead of just going, yeah, you guys can do whatever you want. They're really we're going to make a show set in that era. We're going to yeah. use these characters and use these great moments from the comics and the novels and try to like you keep mentioning Phasma. And I feel like they're not going to contradict any of that stuff. But if there's an opportunity, they'll embrace some of it. They'll reinforce some of it. And it just it's so, so exciting that fans of extra material and, and extra ways to enjoy this media like novels, like comic books are not um missing out but instead there it it it's just kind of like continues to reinforce our love because it's like you guys are in on something cool and it's so cool in fact that the movies and the tv shows are going to explore that same kind of thing too it's just so so cool so so exciting yeah and it makes it likelier that at some point either on this show or maybe in the the baloney directed movie we might see phasma too like she was definitely around going forward at this point in history yeah. as the first order rises but they're all talking about thrawn uh and gideon specifically seems doubtful that thrawn is even alive anymore he calls out pelion on thrawn being a nobody a no-show in these uh, meetings yeah. so i think that's setting up an interesting conflict with between Gideon and Thrawn. We'll talk about that more later. Mm -hmm. Now, to talk about the spies of this episode, there's a lot of questions over who the spies are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my snap reaction coming out of the episode is that the armor just seems really sus this episode. Yeah. And, you know, you were there when we reacted to episode two, and I mentioned that that the armor might be the big bad of the season. My prediction there wasn't so much that she would be a deceitful spy, a political tactician working with Moff Gideon, the person who's done more damage to the Mandalorians than anyone to bring down certain parts of Mandalorian culture mm -hmm. or through some other kind of like aspect of her character we don't know about. I thought her rigid stubborn superstition superstition and dogmatism would be what would make her kind of a villain that it would be a war right. between traditionalism right. 
and progressivism within the Mandalorian tribes. So this is certainly a surprise to me. Uh, but, you know, there are certainly questions we have. So the way this episode ends with the armorer working with these injured people to take them back up to the light cruiser, right. we keep cutting back to her, which is so weird. Like, didn't you feel like she was either going to just get shot? Yeah. Or she, like, at first, I saw her approach. I thought the light cruiser was just going to get nuked for a second. That's like, what I, I thought, too. I mean, is there a possibility, Eric? Because I want to keep I want to keep living in the world where the armorer is good where the armor gets to keep being on the side of the Mandalorians, uh, even with her very extremist kind of cult-ish way of thinking, you're not wrong that that's definitely a great source of conflict, but I really like her and I'm hoping that that she's not full-on Imperial Remnant loyalist or whatever, but is there a possibility that continuing to cut back to that? Because I was thinking, oh, this is where Gideon and his crew are going to show up and they're going to take them all out. Was that a red herring to make us think, oh, that's where they're going to show up. That's where they're going to show up. That's where they're going to show up. So then when we get to further in the cave and all of a sudden that's where the trap lies, it was just a surprise pulling out the rug out from under us of like, no, Gideon's been here the whole time on Mandalore. He's could that, already Could there. that be a possibility? Very possible. Very possible. Um, we just have other questions like, how was he there? Like, how did Din Djarin not see this when they were at, like, we vi visited Mandalore twice this season when Din Djarin went there first. And then, like, were they just really quiet? It's a planet. Like, it's the big planets are bigger than one small community underground. It's a okay. whole planet. <laughs> okay. Okay. You could yeah, land I in Paris and not know anything about what's going on in Los Angeles. So imagine Mandalore. There could be a whole system of caves. We have no idea what's going that's on. That's completely true. Completely true. There are multiple cities, but I think it's also fair to say Star Wars does not treat planets like planets. They <laughs> treat right, them like cities. Right. There's there's like two cities on Tatooine. And we've been to them yeah. a lot. The planet of Navarro is basically just a town with... No, that's not yeah. true, because we've seen yeah. other parts of Navarro. There was an Imperial base on Navarro, but it was also like a place off the map that no one ever really talked about. So I think even the people living in yeah. Navarro didn't think about what happened on and the other And that Imperial Navarro. base was just on the outskirts of the capital city of Navarro. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> well, and there was an Imperial presence there, too. So Navarro is not yeah. the best example. I think, in fact, a lot of this is good arguments against uh, against the armorer being some kind of villain, because why would she send why would she send uh, Mando and Bo-Katan to, the, or at least Mando to the Living Waters, because she would, you know, in that case, she would definitely risk him stumbling upon the Imperial presence. Yeah. When would she have had time to forge together some Beskar armor from Moff Gideon if she was with, you know, Paz Vizla and other members of the Children of the Watch all that time? Like, and they didn't seem like they had ships yeah. until Bo-Katan got there. Listen, I just want to also recall something I just thought of right now. Going back to one of the biggest betrayals in the entire history of the Star Wars galaxy, Order 66. The clones were like good dudes and one flip of the switch and all of a sudden like a programming went off in their head and they're like, okay, we have to kill all the Jedi. The people that we've been working with, all of these generals that we respect immensely, we got to kill them all. Do, 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 do. Jedi are bad. So what if the armor is this deep, deep, deep undercover, like secretive agent who is basically placed here by Gideon years ago with the caveat of like, no, just be a Mandalorian, be strong in your beliefs. We are going to give you a vague background so people understand where the, you could kind of, you know, uh, infiltrate and be part of the group. But just continue to be your true authentic self until I'm going to need to flip the switch, say the code word, winter soldier you. And all of a sudden, homecoming, 
some of those other code words. And then she kind of goes into like, okay, now I have to put all the Mandalorians <laughs> in one place so that they can all get taken out and I have to, you know, listen to my programming. Yeah, doesn't that sound a, like a little surprising with the fact that like the Mandalorians were already beaten? You know, why would he need to set up anything in right. uh, a group of people that they already completely wiped out at, after the Night of a Thousand Tears and the Purge? Like even the other members of the Shadow Council were like, Mandalorians, they're still a thing. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I guess we just have questions of how they were set up. Like, you know, a lot of people are suggesting maybe Axe Woves is the spy. Mm. But like, if you were to go back and look at all of his decisions, it doesn't really make sense mm. for him to be a spy either. I think the issue is is that we're looking at this as if it's a show like Andor, and it's not. Right, it's a no, show no, no. like the Mandalorian and Clone Wars. Yeah, it's for kids. It's, it, you know, it can't be, yeah. it can't be complex enough, complicated enough that kids are going to sort of like lose the thread. It's got to be, there's going to be twists and turns, but it's going to be things that like, if you sit down and really think about it, you're probably going to be able to figure it out because eight-year-olds have to be able to be like, oh, whoa, cool, and understand and follow sort of what's happening. I also want to point out too, could this title episode refer to Aliyah Kane? who really was in this episode confirmed in what we've been suspecting for many, many episodes in this whole season, but she was revealed to be the spy working for Gideon. Could that be with it? But didn't we already know that? Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm pressing you, Hector. No, I no, just no. think like, it's so weird to call this episode the spies. The plural. Yeah, spies. Is it the, because the Shadow Council are not spies. They're all clearly evil. They're not playing any any other kind of role. Right, right. Uh, it's like suggesting that there's someone within the Mandalorian ranks that are spies. Yeah. Uh, are those pirates that they ran across spies? I don't think so. <sighs> no. I do have questions about how they were able to survive, but they also seem to be like that rugged survivalists. Yeah, Mad Max. Very Mad Max. It, it, listen, all signs point to the armor. But I just don't like it, Eric. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I just don't like it. I yeah, I'm I'm with you, Hector. I I it, it just brings up too many questions of like the armorer's arc over these three seasons. Mm -hmm. That if she were a spy the whole time, it just it's like, well, then why did you hang out in a cave that long? When did you get away? What role? What are you trying to gain from this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there's nothing to gain for a Mandalorian who were basically close to extinction mm -hmm. from for being a spy. Um, the only thing that I could see, I guess there's a question of timeline. Yeah. Like, we look at these events throughout season three as having happened within, like, you know, a couple months. But if they took place over, like, a year, if, like, what changes when when Bo-Katan got back from the Living Waters and said that there's a Mythosar under there? That could have been where things changed and then, like, communication mm. was sent to Moff Gideon, like, hey, this is actually a valuable place to be. Uh, maybe now you can set up your base there. But I just don't know when or how the armor could have done that. And, uh, and it's also, I, you know, maybe the um, the scene in this episode where Bo-Katan actually explains the deal that she made with Gideon in an effort to protect whoa. and spare yeah. her people. Maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing. And maybe the armor has a similar deal set up that we're not privy to yet. That we, you know, in the next episode, if it is the armor, I'm sure we're going to get the sort of like explanation the villain speech you know gideon probably talking to din Djarin with the classic we're not so different you and i and some sort of a revelation that like the deal set up with the armorer the spy is that when she brings all of the mandalorians together her specific covert will be spared they will be able to continue mm. to live their life and their way of thinking Whereas Bo-Katan and all the rest of the forces, but of course Gideon is lying to her. You know what I mean? We might get one of those classic switcheroos where Gideon's like, oh yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. 
I told you that, that your covert would get what was owed to them. And what was owed to them was death. And then he's going to betray the armor. And then the armor will be like, oh, no, why did I trust this imperial remnant? And now I've decided to turn it back on him. And maybe I'll sacrifice myself in an effort to uh, to redeem myself. And it'll be that kind of classic story. But there may be just a deal in place with the armor that we're not aware of. And that might be because she is so loyal to her, to her covert that she was willing to play the card of, no, Bo-Katan, you are accepted. We embrace you. You can take off your helmet. You walk both worlds. Meanwhile, on the inside, she's stewing. She hates mm -hmm. taking off your helmet, but she's like, I'll play this. I'll play this role until I can position you and your group in the night owls. And then you get killed off by Moff Gideon. So maybe the next episode, maybe Ahsoka, maybe the next season of The Mandalorian might reveal things that we don't know yet. But fingers crossed that the armor can still be good. I like Emily Swallow. I like her very much. I do too. And and for anyone who's like, it would be impossible for the armorer to be the villain. I'm not saying I want the armorer to be the villain this way. In fact, I'm, I think I'm going to be a little confused. Still, I'm going to have a lot of questions. I'm just saying we've covered these Disney plus shows for a long time. And if you assume they all have airtight logic with their, with their character motivations and the reveals, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, my friend. They've done some crazy shit before on these shows that do not make sense. I mean, Sharon Broker being the power broker or Sharon Carter being the power broker doesn't really make a lot of sense, but they did it. You know, like they do this all the time and then they just have Until like a Until Secret lines. Invasion when she gets revealed, yeah. when she gets revealed to be a scroll, Eric, that's all. Yeah. I think I've just learned by being burned in the past, you can't have like ultimate high expectations for all of these shows. I think you can kind of see the writing on the wall with them. With a show like Andor, you know that like they put a lot of yeah. thought specifically into character motivations that every character feels like their protagonist the protagonist of the story and everything they do is uh pretty clear according to their character's logic um and based off of decisions they've made in the past yeah. on these shows it's really just like looked at more of as a top-down sort of thing where does this character need to be to be with this character to set up this spinoff and to sell toys and I love those toys, uh, so I'm along for the ride. And I will buy all of those toys, <laughs> and I will watch all those spinoffs. I don't care. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but I want to ask you, Hector, about this brewing conflict between Thrawn and Gideon. Do you think the season ends with Thrawn killing Gideon? Oh, you know, I thought about that while watching the episode, and I ultimately came back to Giancarlo Esposito is too good of a draw to not want to put him in a theatrical New Republic mm. experience. Now, will Grand Admiral Thrawn kill Moff Gideon in that movie to show audiences like, no, Thrawn's like a real threat. He just killed Gus from, from Breaking Bad. Like, this guy's a big deal. Yes, I think that that might happen there, but I don't think we're going to lose Giancarlo at the end of this season. I don't think we, we would lose Giancarlo during the Ahsoka show. I don't think we're going to lose Giancarlo in The Mandalorian Season 4. But I think that in, in the sort of um, Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Avengers Endgame finale that they're building to i think that's the kind of thing that you can that you can wait for that it's almost like a uh, i don't know it's almost like a um like a vader versus palpatine kind of a, a of a thing and i think that that for general audiences who might not know especially movie audiences who might not have seen every episode of disney plus tv shows or have watched rebels or even read any of the thrawn novels whether new canon or legends that kind of thing is a great movie moment that really gets audiences to, oh, snap, this Grand Admiral Thrawn, is a, he's a big deal. So that's my prediction. I don't think we're going to lose Giancarlo, but I do think exactly what you said will happen later. Nice. Any other final predictions headed into the finale, Hector? Yes, we're all going to re recoup at uh, Plazier 15. We're going to re re we're going to recruit Jack Black, Lizzo. They're going to come in guns <laughs> a-blazing to save Din Djarin, and it's going to be 
epic. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to uh, lock in. I think we will see Thrawn in a post credit scene. I agree. Would be my guess. I don't think he's going to factor into the episode, but I think just yeah. structurally makes most sense to show that beautiful Lars Mikkelsen face in a post credit scene. I think it's going to set up an interesting period of time where I don't know if Thrawn's going to be serving the agenda of the First Order, and I kind of like that. I want Thrawn to be more of a rogue. Absolutely. I think we're going to suggest that he is breaking away from the First Order, and and I think that's the best move for Star Wars as well. I think you can totally have part of the timeline continue on. You have the the Hux father and son operation that are that are working with people like Gideon and the rest of the member of the Shadow Council to uh to work with the Sith Eternal and Snoke and and recruit using, you know, making Beskar armor. I guess at some point in the future they are going to lose their Beskar source because, you know, Finn wasn't wearing Beskar when we find him in the First Order. Um but mm. yeah, I think that's still going to continue. I want Thrawn to just be a rogue. I I want him to be a yeah. rogue and I think and, and- and he all should of have that, more of a personal gripe with everyone. I agree fully, and I think none of that is is really going to conflict with how the 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 first order is the big bad of the sequel trilogy. You know, this this nine or so years after the Battle of Yavin time period that we're in right now with the Mandalorian, this is the prime time, just like the original Thrawn appearance in that Legends novel, for Thrawn to sort of rise up before the thirty years later rise of the first order. And um, yeah, another great moment too in this episode is when they were talking about all these allocating all these resources and one of these members of the shadow council wasn't i think it was hux wasn't sharing their like fleet or whatever they're amassing with the rest of the group and i'm like yeah there's there's the explanation for the final order and exegol having like a thousand star destroyers i'm like you got to start somewhere and they're already (laughs) building that up so that we can get that big reveal in episode nine so yeah (laughs) it's like you could have spared one of these super star destroyers at some point no 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 we needed to bury them all under the ice of exegol (laughs) so it looks really cool when they rise yeah uh so i think we'll be in an interesting place with uh with the mandalorian people right Uh, i think it just makes me sad to see that Mandalore is just kind of this wasteland and that yeah. it's been now co-opted by Moff Gideon's people right under their noses because it's like, okay, well, great. They're never really going to have their homeland again, and they need to let go of that. I think they just they seem to have something great going on on Navarro, some nice hot springs. They had some camps, roasting some kadus on bonfires. Like, that seems like a happy life. Just Agreed. live there forever. You do not need to reclaim your homeland at that point. I'm sorry. Yeah. It sucks. It's cursed. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Mandalore isn't a place. It's a people. Thank you, Thor. That's Ragnarok. Right. That's correct. I, I hope that someone says that or learns that <laughs> next week. That's all I hope for. Maybe it'll be IG-12 himself through the voice of Taika Waititi, <laughs> director of Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Using yes and no as yes. binary code to communicate yeah. it. Yes, yes, yes. No, no. Yes, 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 yes. Um, anyway, well, we'll leave it there for this episode of Wookiee Leaks. I know people are going to get mad at me for like being too hard on this episode. We're just trying to figure it out because overall, I think Rick Familia did a great job shooting all yeah. this. The action was incredible. Yeah. I mean, the performances were fun as always. I liked the adventure overall. I just have questions overall about the series. And, you know, if this episode adds more questions to that list, I'm going to still be trying to work through them here on Wednesday mornings. Uh, but, hey, my Easter egg breakdown is going to be coming tomorrow. As always, you can follow me at EA Voss. Follow Hector at Hector is Funny. Tommy will be back next week. And we'll be back next week to react to the season finale. It's going to be an interesting one. We can also check out the stuff I got going over on the deep dive. We got an investigation episode coming out on Friday that's going to look into the history of post-credit scenes. Speaking of post-credit scenes, I Whoa. think you'll really enjoy that one. You can follow New Rockstar, subscribe to WookieLeaks wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for watching, and we have spoken.